Well, I wish we could stop there, but we can't, so. As Luke said, I'm Joshua Reese. I'm the junior high pastor here, and uh, it is my pleasure to be here in front of you all. But when Luke um, had first sent this email out saying, hey, you're going to get a shot to preach to our church, um, a lot of things happened for me. (laughs) So first I was like, finally they realized. (laughs) Finally they know. They must have been sitting in on the junior high sermons. Um, But then I looked at the email and it wasn't just me on there. Uh, It was my older brother, Arnold, who preached already at the nine. And uh, and it was got my my brother in Christ, Brandon Compton, who dresses cooler than me um, and is cooler than me, I'm told, but I don't know about that. But immediately, um, I felt like I got to do better than them. Like that's just reality. The reality is Arnold's not even a pastor yet. He's just a pastoral resident. He can't do better. I went through all this list of like why I should really do better and, and be greater at this sermon. And then I said, okay, well, let's put all that aside. I just want to read the text and get into it. And so I said, God, please help me to interact with this text. I don't want to just preach this text because I read about it and I studied about it. I want it to be something that has wrapped itself around my heart and changed my life so that I can preach what I know. I get in, and I go, Luke 22, okay, verse 24. A dispute also arose among them as to which would be regarded as the greatest. (laughs) And I immediately was like, well, this is an easy one, God. You answered my prayer already. I'm interacting uh, with this text. And here's the reality. I'm not a bad person. I'm not overly prideful. I'm, I'm... I don't want fame and fortune, and I don't want everybody to look at me and say I'm amazing. Like, I really, I don't. And I love my older brother. Like, love him. He's like one of my best friends, and I wanted him to do great. In fact, I prayed for him this morning to do great, and I think I prayed a little too hard because it's set the bar a little high. I love Brandon Compton. I don't want them to fail. And in fact, the only reason that I'm preaching right now is because I desperately, desperately want people to know and love Jesus. I'm trying to serve faithfully. And yet, even as I'm reading the text, even right now as I'm preaching, I'm having to wrestle with this pride, this, this, this thing, that, this reality that keeps showing up. See, it's, it's my desire to fight for the top for recognition, right, for power, I keep wanting to be the greatest. Even when I realize that I'm doing that, I still, it's always picking at me. And my guess is if you're here and you have a pulse, that you might struggle with this too. So whether you're a homemaker, whether you're a CEO of this ginormous company or a CEO of a small company, whether you're a business owner, a doctor, a carpenter, a teacher, a mechanic, a student, a grandparent, or even better, just a Christian trying to serve Jesus faithfully, it's likely, if you're honest with yourself, that you struggle with the same thing I do. That's using comparison and status and recognition to lift yourself up and define who we are and what we do. 
We've made our own definition of greatness, if you will. And there's a huge problem with that. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And that is that our definition and God's definition of greatness, they don't match. My natural definition of greatness is different than what God is going to present to us today in his text. And so today we're going to continue in our Love Walked Among Us series where we're going to look at the person of Jesus who we believe lived out love perfectly. We're going to look at his definition of greatness, what it is, what it looks like, and what it changes. But let's pray before we do so. God, it is good to be here today, and we thank you for your word. God, we pray that you would shape us to be more like the person of Jesus, that when we look at his life and death and resurrection, that it would be forming for us foundationally. Amen. Well, if you would, turn to Luke 22 is where we're going to start. And as you do, I'm going to set up a little bit of context for this passage. So as we already read, a dispute arose among them as to which would be regarded as the greatest. And before we just throw stones and be like, what in the world is going on? I'm just going to kind of paint a picture. Earlier this day, Jesus has sent Peter and John, two of his disciples, that were pretty close to him. They got to do a lot of the stuff with him. He sent them ahead to go prepare a place to take this to celebrate this Passover meal, this Jewish um, meal that they would celebrate their liberation, right? And this is a big meal for them. And so he sends his two best guys, maybe. I don't know, Peter and John, go ahead. Maybe that's what they're thinking. They go and set it up. And Jesus says he's longed to celebrate this meal with them. Now, earlier in this passage, they sat down. The time has come for them to eat. And they're eating and enjoying. And keep in mind, Jesus is about to go to the cross and die. And he knows it. And he's spending his last moments with what he says he wants to do with his last moments with his friends. Eating dinner. Celebrating. Enjoying them. I picture him laughing. I picture him talking. I picture him um, just soaking in every moment that he has with them. And then he tells them his time has come. He says, my, my time has come for me to do what I came to do. And he drops a bomb. He says, one of you is going to betray me. Okay, so we can already see, hopefully, why they might be discussing who's the greatest among them. Perhaps it started with um, who's going to betray us, but then it came to, well, it's not going to be me. It's probably this guy, right? So cue the human heart. Jesus is enjoying his last night with them, and we are always, the human heart, tempted by the whisper of pride, this worldly greatness. The disciples in their last moment with their Lord, they spend the time looking at themselves and arguing and trying to lift themselves up. Now here's the other side. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they weren't lifting themselves up. Maybe they were lifting each other up. You know, maybe Peter said, or maybe somebody said, Peter, it's definitely you. It's gotta be you. Maybe Peter was like, no, 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 no. I mean, you hear Jesus. He's always yelling at me. (laughs) 
There's no way. It's probably John and James. And they're like, well, yeah, until last week when my mom got involved. Like, <laughs> that ruined it for me. It's probably Thomas. And he's like, I doubt it. You know? You know? Maybe they're, maybe they're humbly building each other up. Maybe that's the situation. We don't really know, but we know that it's gotten to be a dispute. And in the best case, the best case scenario, they're humbly building each other up to this idea of greatness. And in the worst case, they're puffing their chests and they're building themselves up to this idea of greatness. But either way, Either way, they're playing with the wrong definition of greatness. And listen, definitions are everything. Definitions are everything. If you guys all know Seth Trout, he's one of our pastors here, okay? If he asks you to work out with him, okay, you better know what his definition of workout means. Because his means pull fire trucks and do like 5,000 burpees while holding your breath so that it makes it harder. My definition is like, don't watch Netflix. That's like working out. <laughs> so those definitions have to max, match, right? Do we have any vegans in the house? Not a lot are proud of that. Don't, don't worry about that. <laughs> if, you're, if, if you're a vegan and you're going and talking to Mark Andrus, who loves bacon so much that he would eat it all day long if he could, right? Or a carnivore, and you're asking, where's a good place to eat? You better worry, worry about those definitions. Definitions matter. The last example I'll give, I, I had a friend of mine that I said, hey, let's go on a light hike. Um, it's no big deal. He's like, what do we need? I'm like, just, just come, you're fine. And he describes his feet as being like raw hamburger afterwards because I just didn't realize that that wasn't a light hike. Definitions matter and Jesus knows this and so he recognizes the disciples Wrong definition of greatness, and he's going to address it. So let's look at verse 25 where he addresses this. And it says, And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. Now, Jesus is a really good, uh, I mean, he's good at discussing, lecturing, right? He's good at, he knows what's right. And he's really smart. Most of the time, when you want to present a problem to somebody, you don't say, hey, here's your problem. You say, hey, look at this guy's problem. And they're like, yeah, I totally see that. Like, isn't that easy? We're e it's really easy for us to note other people's problems. So he does this. He says, let's look at what they do. Let's look at the Gentiles do, not you, but the Gentiles. They exercise lordship over them, and they, and they act as benefactors. Now, I'm going to pause on that word benefactors just to kind of help us understand that. Um, it's sort of like, I'll just give you an example of my life. When I do the dishes at my house, okay, I make it a big deal. Like, I, I, I make sure, I mean, I do it because I'm, you know, I want to serve and I want to serve, but I make sure that my wife knows it. Like, I'm like, I, I might as well just be like, attention, everyone. I am doing the dishes and it's taking me a while because I'm doing them good. And I'm doing them right. So I should be praised because I'm a great husband that does the dishes. Even now I'm telling you that I'm doing the dishes so you know that I do the dishes. <laughs> this is similar to this benefactor. These are people that lord it over people. They just wanted praise. 
They wanted praise. They had this idea of greatness as being lifted up and served. Right? Benefactor, someone that doesn't, that does something for status or recognition. It involves pride. It translates power into greatness. It says power equals greatness. Being served equals greatness. And here's what Jesus says. That's the wrong definition. Right? Verse 26. But not so with you. In other words, here's the definition of greatness. Not that. Everything that you know about it, everything that you think you know about it, it's not that. It's being a servant. He says, rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. He's giving opposites here. He's giving opposites. For one, who is greater, he says. I love how he just asks a question. He basically says, tell me what you know about greatness. Tell me what you know about it. Who's greater, the one who serves or, or, or the one who reclines at table? How many guys, when you go uh, to a restaurant, feel like your, server, your, serve, your uh, waiter or waitress is higher than you? I should like hopefully pull at your heart a little bit. I mean, even if you respect them mutually, you're never like, that person's definitely higher than me. Right? And this is what Jesus is getting at. He says, your definition, it's all wrong. Here's his new definition. He says that true greatness is actually lowly, humble, Service. True greatness is lowly, humble service. Now let's not forget this. This isn't the first time Jesus has had to have this conversation with his disciples. It's recorded a, a few other times in the other gospels that he's having to combat this, this, this rising up in their hearts of wanting to be great. When he talks of kingdom, they want to be high in the kingdom. They want to be they, in the way that they see, which is ruling over people and people praising them. But Jesus says, this isn't going to be like this. Now at this point in our passage, Jesus is lecturing them. Much like I do with my own kids. And with my, I'm a junior high pastor. I'm a lecturer. That's what I do. I look at what kids are doing. I'm like, listen, that's not it. You have to do something else. My kids make fun of me because I am a lecturer. I got it from my dad. He probably got it from his dad. It's just the way we do. Like, I could lecture you forever, talk to you forever, and just lecturing. My kid once uh, told their teacher they had to write a paper of how they would be better at listening. And they said, well, I'll get good practice at it because my dad lectures a lot. <laughs> she didn't think I would read the paper, but I got to see it. <laughs> but here's the thing. Jesus like a very good parent, a better parent than me, realizes that you cannot just lecture, but sometimes you have to show. And so what he does, if you guys would turn with me to John 13, is Jesus is now going to not just lecture them on what is right and change their definition, but he's gonna show them by his actions what this new greatness looks like. So if we're there in John 13... We'll start, and, and I want you to note this. As John's recording this, I want you to note how slowly he goes through all the actions that Jesus is doing. 
I want you to note how it doesn't fast forward into any of it. Up until this, in this passage, he's, he's saying very, like, this is what they did. They went to the Passover, da, 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 da. It's like kind of fast forward. And then when he gets to this scene where Jesus is going to showcase who he is, it slows down. So let's start in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. Now let's pause there, because I'm a simple man. And I just want to say... Already Jesus has won my applause because have you ever sat down for dinner and are ready to eat and you have to get back up? (laughs) It's not fun. Have you ever finished a meal and you have to rise up to do something? Like my kids are like, dad, I need, can you get me a fork? And I'm like, this is, (sighs) I'm sitting, okay? And I picture Jesus, you know, they didn't sit in chairs that are easy to get up. They sat down. And it says this, so I just, that was supposed to be a funny joke. Jesus rises up, and already in this rising up, he's like 10 points ahead of me in perfection points. Like, he's just got me beat. But let's look at how Jesus does these seven steps that he does. We're going to read together. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his other garments... And taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So he rises up. Picture this. You're one of these disciples who was just arguing about who was the greatest. There's noise going on. People are eating. Somebody's still eating because they eat too much. Things are going on. There's noise everywhere. And then Jesus stands up. That catches your attention. He goes over. He takes off his outer garment. He lays it aside. And all of a sudden, the room just kind of silence. What is Jesus doing? Now, Jesus could have been a lot more efficient in this act, I think. He could have said, hey, attention, everyone. I'm about to do something that's going to blow your mind. I'm about to wash your feet. So get your heart ready. But he doesn't. He goes slow, and he rises from supper. He lays aside his garments. He takes the towel. He wraps it around himself. He goes over and he grabs the water. He pours it into a basin. And he goes over. Remember, you were just arguing about who is the greatest. And he kneels down. And he grabs your foot. Your foot. That's dirty and gross and beneath him. Does he have your attention? He does. And then he washes them, one at a time. Imagine you're the 12th one in line. Man, the nerves that are going on, the conviction that's going on. I was just arguing. 
I hope you didn't hear what I said. <laughs> Here's the thing. Jesus shows us in this moment exactly what greatness looks like. It's inconvenient. Remember that Jesus is about to die and he knows it. If any of us were Jesus' friends, we would have been like, listen, you got bigger things to worry about, like your death and conquering sin and, and then rising again. Like, how are you gonna pull that off? You should be focusing on that. Let these guys argue. You don't have time for it. But he doesn't regard his convenience. He inconvenient, he, in inconvenience, he enters into discussion with them. It's messy. Again, he grabs your foot. Now, I could go into how back then foot washing was the lowest thing, and it, and it was a very lowly job, but I could just tell you today, wash somebody's feet. It's a lowly thing. It's a lowly thing, and it's real. And so picture Jesus grabbing that dirty, dirty foot, and not with running water where he could, like, kind of do one of these and wash it off, but he's dripping water over, and he's wiping it, and then it says he wipes his feet, wipes their feet clean on the towel that's on him. Guys, there's no way that Jesus wasn't dirty in that moment. There's no way that he didn't take on, get dirt all over him from their feet. It's beautiful and disgusting, but beautiful. And it required humility. This was King Jesus, the King, the greatest. In him all things were made. Without him was not anything, anything made. He's king over it all. And he doesn't regard his position or status. What? I can't even do that. We're going to struggle with that. And here's God on display. Do you understand? This act is the principal movement of God to put himself lesser in order to love. To put himself lesser in order to love. Do you see it? Everything about Jesus is summed up in this act. It's what he's been about this whole time and now he's showing them fully. This is what I'm about. This is who I am. This is me leaving heaven and coming down here to you to take your mess, your dirt, your sin. It's gonna get on me, I'm gonna get gross. I don't get out of this clean. But he does it anyway. He willingly takes our shame and our penalty, even though he's innocent. This is what he was about. This is the person of Jesus. He is the correct definition of greatness. Amen. Praise God. And so what does this change? This changes everything. This changes everything. 
We have a new definition. Definitions matter. Jesus is our new definition. What he does is what we're to do when we seek greatness. Jesus was the greatest, is the greatest, will always be the greatest. So we follow him. See, our culture still, like us, has this wrong definition of greatness. I don't mean to stir too many things up, but I'm just going to talk about this. Our last presidency was won on this great slogan. It's really a, a clever slogan. Make America great again. It's a, clever, it's a clever slogan. It's good. And it's causing a lot of controversy. The reason is because the definition is, of great is, is, is mixed. But imagine if we, as followers of Christ, took back that definition of greatness and, and, and submitted that statement, make America great again, to Jesus. Jesus' definition of great. Wouldn't that be crazy? Make America most humbly serving again. Put it to our church. Make our church great, the most serving I want to be the greatest, most serving friend. I want to be the greatest, most serving son-in-law. I want to be the greatest, most serving fill-in-the-blank. Jesus' definition of greatness changes everything. And he calls us to become foot washers. If we're to follow him, we're to become foot washers like he was. And what do we have to do to that? We're going to have to let go of our ego. Right? Listen, I'm still struggling with this. I sat through my brother's sermon and I was like, oh, everybody's going to say he's greater. <laughs> oh man. I have to submit my ego to God's definition of greatness and I need to repent of my definition of greatness. I need to repent of it to fight that lure of pride. How am I going to do this? I'm going to continue to look at Jesus. I'm going to continue to look at the Father who I see through Jesus, his example, never considering himself above any service, anything. Never, never, never. He puts himself lower always for love. See, he's not ruled by pride or power. He's ruled by love. And so he puts himself lower. And listen, this isn't a lofty idea or even a literal prescription. Maybe you could go wash somebody's feet, but you don't have to. That's not what I, that's not what I necessarily want, to do, want you to do. Some people's feet are really gross and you shouldn't touch them. <laughs> but this is messy, inconvenient, humble service. And so I made a list of a few things. I said, how can we be foot washers? I asked around. I'm going to just read this list. How about honoring in-laws in a concrete way? Now, before I get the yeah buts, I know some of you are like, yeah, but you don't know. Uh, remember who was in that room getting their feet washed with the others? It was a Judas who didn't deserve it. Because Judas would betray Jesus later that day. Wow. 
Here's our king, again on display, showing who he is. He doesn't count, what am I gonna get back from this? Like if he just watched the other 11, it's like, well, he was preserving them and, and growing them. Judas was gone. What good did it do for Jesus to serve him in a humble way? So you can serve your in-laws <laughs> and just about anybody. Serving the elderly, losing an argument for the sake of relationship. Taking time to see and really understand young people and not just say, back in my day, we used to be better. That's, I'm guilty of that. How about young people taking the time to see and really understand old people and not just say, we're better. We got this figured out. Serving your neighbors, especially the annoying ones. Making your boss look really good without getting any recognition. Maybe being a cheerleader for someone who's getting the recognition that you wanted or even that you deserved. Doing something for someone without personal gain and without posting it on social media. Imagine that. Building time into your day to seek out other people's needs. Now here's the thing, I was tempted to not read that list because you could do everything on that list and still miss the point, unfortunately. See, what Jesus is presenting requires not just attitude, but work, both of those things. It is a posture. He is inviting us in to this new idea of greatness. And we've all been confronted with it now. And we get to choose what we're gonna do. We can head nod and just be like, man, that's so good. That's so good. But I'm probably not going to do any of it. But this was, what Jesus did was a real, actual, physical act where he had to put himself lower in humility, even shame. He got messy. It was inconvenient. And he did it. And he's called us to mimic it, to find no service above us as we seek all of life to be all for Jesus, he calls us to place ourselves as he did in the lower place in order to love and serve others. That's our call. Let's pray. Dear God, God, we thank you for your son Jesus who does everything good. God, we praise you that what you have worked through him will never fade. God, and we thank you for this new definition of greatness in which we can rest from our pride and the rat race that it is that's found in our definition of greatness, God. God, your son Jesus, so good. Help us to be more like him. We pray it all in his name. Amen.